blue, and there's green, and there's all sorts of different colors of man. And Zeus accidentally kind of clumsily makes his way back through the reeds of the riverbank, and uh, he's desperate to see his new toys, and as he does, he steps on and crushes the blue and the green man. And he, he just simply says, oh, never mind, they were there for my amusement anyway. So if I break and crush a few, well, so what? This was the cultural and religious narrative of the day. This, by the way, is why we don't have blue and green people, according to Greek mythology. Humans in and of themselves have no intrinsic worth in this world. You were, you were born, and if you were a Roman man, you were lucky, and you could simply traffic in women and children and other race groups for your pleasure and as living tools. That's, that's what slavery is. That's what we've come from. Okay, I've gone far too long without looking at some scripture. So let's do that now. It actually may be helpful for you to have a Bible open in front of you and just to track through what we're going to read. I'm going to do something I don't think I've heard any other preachers do. I don't think I've ever heard any teaching on this particular passage. Deuteronomy 22. If you join me there. Deuteronomy 22, and we're going to look through the first 11 verses of this chapter. And I'm going to warn you, there is some weirdness in here, but it's good weirdness, and I believe it'll help us. This 11-verse stretch of scripture that we're going to read contains five instructions from Moses to the people of God, and we're going to just track this through. So so firstly, I think the words might come up on the screen behind me if you haven't got a phone or a a Bible. Um, It says, if you see your fellow Israelite ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to its owner. If they do not live near you, or you do not know who owns it, take it home with you and keep it until they come looking for it. That's nice. Then give it back. Do the same if you find their donkey or cloak or anything else they've lost. Do not ignore it. If you see your fellow Israelites' donkey or ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help the owner to get it back onto its feet. What on earth is that doing in the Bible? We'll come back to that in just a second. Secondly, a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear woman's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. This is an instruction right in the heart of our current cultural moment. Again, we'll come back to that. Thirdly, if you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, or the eggs, I guess, but be sure to let the mother go, so that it may go well with you, and you may have a long life. Sounds a bit strange, but in other words, look after the environment, and don't break the food cycle. In this case, you can take the eggs for food, that's God's provision for you, but don't be short-sighted and take the mother as well. Or as it says a few chapters earlier, when you're at war with another city, and you need wood for weapons, Don't cut down the trees that provide food. We're meant to have a right respect for the environment and show appropriate stewardship for it because it's God's provision to us as a place to live and a place to find food. And that's the sentiment of what these particular verses are about. Fourthly, when you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Great. If you're a builder or a town planner, you'll love this. It's ancient building code. But, but why is it in the Bible? It's so that we take care to safeguard human life. If you fall off a flat roof, or even worse, 
in that culture, in the warm months, you would sleep outside on your flat roof in those days. If you rolled over in the night without a parapet around the roof, that could be the last thing you ever do. So build a parapet. Look after human life. Keep yourself and others safe. Fifthly, do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey tied, yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. In other words, be careful what you mix. Things can pollute each other or cause tension and stress. That, again, is a, an important one for us to come back to. I realize I'm working us work really hard this morning, but I think it's good for us. What an odd passage of Scripture this is. This is the, the, passage, the kind of passage of Scripture that before I was a Christian, I'd read and think, man, those Christians are crazy. This is all so outdated and irrelevant. Ancient instructions for an unsophisticated people thousands of years ago. It has nothing at all to say to me. This is for those people who live in caves in Montana with baked beans and shotguns and stuff like that, waiting for the apocalypse. But actually... This passage is at the very heart of what I want to say to you this morning, and it starts to scratch the surface on so much of what we see in our culture and in its response to contemporary issues like equality and justice and consent and identity, and also points to why our culture sometimes has such a, pro has such a problem with what we believe as a church particularly on the issue of same-sex relationships and human sexuality and personal identity. It tells us not to dress and behave and be what we biologically aren't because this too would blur the God-given distinctions of the sexes and would in effect disturb the created order of life. This is actually the conversation at the heart of the current controversies around same-sex marriage and gender fluidity. Some people would argue that it's their right to identify as they want to, and others might point to the logic of a Bible verse like this and say, but that has implications for all of us and for society. We'll talk much more about human sexuality in the next few weeks, but again, we see here the age-old wisdom that fundamentally pertains to a deep question that every human is asking. Who am I? And how do I live this life? These are questions that Christianity has an answer for. And then this passage talks about being careful what you mix. Don't sow different types of seed in the same field because it's likely that it won't grow well together and it may not grow at all. And don't have a donkey plowing a field with an ox because they're fundamentally different and they'll behave different and they'll pull in different directions. It's just common sense. This passage tells us to care for the environment. It tells us to care for other people. Issues which we like. And it also tells us about distinction and separateness, which we don't. Think about some of these things again. When I was working through this passage this week, I thought there were like word pictures for how we're meant to live as people of God in light of who God is and how he has made us. Love your neighbor. Serve your neighbor. Your neighbor is also created and loved by God. So do them good. Help him with his donkey. Build a safety fence in places where he or you may otherwise fall and hurt yourself. The, the modern day equivalent of this might be as simple as just be nice and say nice and kind things to people all the way through to don't go to war with your fellow man. These things are not what God intended for you. And it's plain to see that no good thing comes of it. 
and maintain the creation order. Your identity is found first and foremost not by how you identify sexually, not by how you dress, or in any other way. If you want to know who you are and how you're supposed to live, the answer is this. You are a created, loved, highly valued child of God. You have infinite worth in his eyes, and you are made to live in relationship with him. If you make that your fundamental framework for existence, then you'll be living up to all the things that you were made for. And if you don't, then you'll start to chase after all sorts of other things to define yourself through your achievements, your sexuality, the fleeting praise of others, rather than the eternal and unbreakable love that God the Father has for you. And look after the environment. You don't have to join Greenpeace, but demonstrate God's heart for creation that he made and loves by looking after it too. And in this, you will also maintain the creation order. A healthy planet produces healthy stuff that sustains us. This stuff is common sense. And this one for me is really important. Don't pollute yourself with any old seed. Be careful what you mix with, what you adopt, and what you affirm. There are simply some things in our culture that we are called to oppose or reject. This whole thing about two types of seed, about donkeys and oxen not plowing together or wearing wool mixed with linen, all of that is meant to point us to the fact that we are meant to live as distinct and pure in the world. The Bible term for this is holy. The word holy simply means set apart. God is holy. He is set apart. He is unique and unlike any other God. There is none like him. Therefore, he is set apart. And we too are meant to be holy, to be set apart, to stand out as distinct. That's the call on us. Jesus says of the church that we're meant to be like a a light on a hill radiating illumination into the valleys of the world, the standard by which humanity should operate. Christianity is the air that we breathe. The Christian story, the story of God who creates mankind uniquely and individually in his image, who loves them and gives them parental instructions like these for how to live well, who dwells with his people and rules over all creation, who comes to us in the person of Jesus to save us and make us right, and make things right for us, and calls us to be a holy people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood in relationship with him, pointing the world towards him, inviting people into relationship with him. This gives shape to the whole human story. And if you fail to note that, you're left with a culture in which you'll look to fulfill that deep relational need, that deep sense of longing for identity and purpose, that deep need for personal significance and meaning in everything else. Trying to live apart from God is its not completely impossible. We see that in the world around us. It's just utterly painful and leads to what we see in the world, injustice and torture and slavery and war. Being a person in the world oblivious to or in opposition of God is like a fish trying to live out of water, just flapping around, gasping desperately for what it needs. Or a donkey partnered with an ox. It's just never going to work well. 
or like wool and linen in the same unwashed garment that wear and shrink at different rates in the wash, so you end up living with a kind of a, an ill-fitting deformity. Whether you like it or not, our world is shaped by Christianity, both the things that we love, like social care and environmental care, and the things that we find perplexing, like factions that open up over disagreements to do with identity. It all points us back to the reality that we're not made like the beasts. We're made in the image of God, to be loved by God and to love God. And anything outside of this will ultimately lead to problems with yourself or your identity or your purpose or your goals and your ultimate eternal destiny. So what's the... What's the Christian response to our culture? What's the story we need to tell our diseased and decaying world? And what's the good news that we need to constantly tell ourselves and retell ourselves in a world that's just a, a little bit out of control with the fight for personal rights and banner-waving and armband-wearing in the name of freedom that is increasingly opposed to the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Firstly, in Christianity... All things make sense because there's a higher purpose for human life. We are created by God to be in relationship with God and that God is good and kind and loving and cares for all that he has made. And that means that he absolutely values us and holds us up as the pinnacle of his creation and as the exclusive object of his unrelenting and unchangeable love. And that love is fierce and it's just, and it's protective, and it's for our good. All the things we've been singing this morning, in fact, so unlike the other gods, is the Christian God, that not only does he make us, but he comes to us. He comes to us in the person of Jesus, and he walks with us, and he hears us, and he understands us, and he's sympathetic and compassionate towards us. And instead of breaking us, like Zeus trampling on his creation, he is broken for us on the cross to demonstrate all that he is in that very moment, dying to take away our sins, the perfect meeting of the justice of God married with the mercy of God out of sheer life-surrendering love for the mankind that he makes and loves. How does the song go? Why? Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. In light of Zeus and Apollo, the all-powerful gods of antiquity, here we see our God, the Christian God, dying on a wooden cross. He dies the slave's death. Paul, the apostle, writes into that culture that when compared to what the culture believed would save them, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. How true those words today. But to us, he says, who are being saved, it's the power of God. That's what the cross is. How true those words today. Such is his desire for us. And such is the statement that Christianity makes Jesus is not only for us and holds us in high value, but when push comes to shove, he gave himself up for us and made us right with God so that we might live up to the full potential of our creation. And it's here, it's in this place, it's in the gospel 
that we find the answers to the questions that our culture is screaming most loudly. Because we are made in his image and loved by him and called to love him and fashioned and shaped to operate and demonstrate what he's like in the world, it starts to make sense of the pain and the anguished frustration of the world that we live in and see around us. If you want identity and self-expression, you want to know and be at rest in who you are and what you're meant to do, Christianity gives us that. You're a child of God. You're highly favored to be in relationship with him and to go out into the world and invite others in. And when you realize that, you can be free from the tyranny of having to fight to be recognized by other people for how you want to identify because God who made you has already identified you. You want power and immortality? The gospel gives us both. Power through the infilling of the very Spirit of God by which we live this life and keep faith and immortality because in Jesus, death has been overcome and we have eternal life to look forward to with him and one another. We were made, we were designed to want immortality and power because we were made by the God of immortality and power. That's what's behind the constant drive to want to look younger and live longer. He's sown immortality into our hearts, that's what the Bible teaches us. But it's all only possible in him. And when you realize that, there is freedom from the tyranny of aging and death. You want justice and freedom? On the cross, God demonstrates his justice by taking on the penalty for sin that he didn't commit. He satisfies his own standards for, of justice for all people by imposing the penalty for sin on himself. And in so doing, he gives us complete freedom. Freedom from judgment and shame. Those things are dealt with now. You don't need to live under judgment. You don't need to live under shame. Freedom to love him. Freedom to be in relationship with him. And when we realize that, we can lower the banners and stop screaming and be free from the tyranny of constantly demanding our rights. That's one of the ways that this world is characterized by the constant fight for rights. Jesus makes that good. You want sex and adoration? That somebody might just love you and protect you and show you kindness and give, yourself, give themselves to you fully? That's what sex is. That's what sex is supposed to be. Well, Jesus has done that for you too. He has fully given himself to you and fully given himself for you. Sex, just like all these other things, isn't necessarily bad in and of itself. Sex, justice, power, immortality, identity, they're all sown into our hearts by the Creator. In and of themselves, they're good things if well handled because they're meant to point us back to him. That's what we need to know. That's what our world needs to hear. Christianity is the air that we breathe in terms of how the world is, but also in time, it's also the air that we breathe in terms of what we need. It's the only pure oxygen for the human heart, without which everything else is just a pale and painful imitation. When all's been said and done, and one day all will be said and done, every knee on earth and every tongue will confess as they see him in his glory and realize that only he is the satisfaction of souls, that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Only he can satisfy the endless yearnings of the human heart. And good news, he deeply wants you. I'll finish just by inviting you to respond as maybe one of two types of people. If you're a Christian 
there is both invitation here to dive deeper into Jesus, and there is instruction here to open your eyes to the world around you and to live for and to discern and to speak in a way that unlocks what culture is screaming and to offer the life and the satisfaction that only Jesus can. And if you aren't yet a Christian, or if you've never really grasped it, this is for you. Just, just come and speak to me or Nathaniel or one of the leaders here, and we'd love to talk to you more if you want to know more about what life with Jesus is all about. What is plain from human experience is that we, humans, are of infinite longing. That's what this world's all about. Infinite longing, infinite and desperate fight for rights and identity and significance. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is of infinite fullness. What your heart is searching for can be fully satisfied and found in Christ today. Let's pray together and then we'll sing some more. King Jesus, I do thank you so much that even as Paul writes, the cross that you died, that shameful slave's death on a wooden cross in agony alongside other criminals of the day looks like foolishness to our world. It does. It looks like foolishness. But you've called us who are being saved into your family that to us the cross is the power of God for our salvation. And I thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray today we would have a renewed sense that the yearnings of our hearts, the painful places that our hearts lead us, the pain that we feel, the endless search for significance and meaning and accumulation that we experience can be satisfied in you. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't yet know you, that the power of your Holy Spirit would be so at work in their lives this morning to bring them to an awareness that life in all its fullness, glory, immortality, power, all these things that you've sown into our hearts can be fully found and experienced and known for all time in your wonderful Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for it all and we give you glory. Amen. Let's stand. encourage everybody to close their eyes feel comfortable to put out your hands we do this as we want to receive what God has for us we use this song as a as a prayer